Welcome to episode one of the Did You Hear podcast. I'm Emma Houghton, alongside my co-host Patrick Zhang, and we're both Villanova graduates, graduated back in May. This podcast is on the Blue Wire Hustle podcast network, and we are so excited to get things going and start creating some awesome content for everybody. So, Pat, how are you doing? Oh, hey, Emma. Everything is great. I am good. So excited to finally get started. I mean, how many months have passed where we've talked about this, where we've come up with ideas, where we've gone back and forth with Blue Wire, uh, brimming with excitement to finally get going and, and bring everyone episode one. Yeah, it really, it really has felt like a long time coming, and it is so exciting now. So we'll just give a little bit of an overview of what we want to accomplish with this podcast and for all of our listeners. So we're going to be centering around two, ma- two main segments. So first, we're going to have our biggest segment called Did You Hear? So we'll, bro- we'll both bring some things up, some smaller storylines within the big stories. So we want to be reactive. We want to talk about the sports going on. But we're going to shine some light on some, some news, some storylines, some numbers that aren't getting enough credit. And then we're going to end off every sec- every seg- uh, every segment, excuse excuse me, with the craziest number or the craziest thing we heard this week. So that's going to be really exciting. That's where we're where we're going to be able to touch on some different, some other storylines going on within the sports world. So, Pat, get us started. Let, let's get this thing going. Yeah, so we are super excited to be able to bring you that formatting. We think it'll allow us to really dive deep onto some stories that we really want to talk about and bring you some interesting elements of it, whether it be what's not being talked about and especially bringing you kind of how we see things through numbers and statistics. But to kick off our first one, we are going to check in on two teams that spent top 10 picks on quarterbacks in the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Chargers. We are going to skip over the Miami Dolphins for now as Tua just made his first start over the weekend, but we're going to kick things off with the Bengals. Yeah, let's do it. And just to really preface this segment, we we are excluding Miami for the reason Pat just said. But 2020 is just the fifth season since 1950 to have three or more top 10 rookies starting at the quarterback position. So we've seen how impactful these quarterbacks in college have been. And then to have them all debut in week eight, especially, I think is really, really cool. But let's start with the Bengals. They are 2-5-1 right now in one of the most competitive divisions in the NFL at this point, the AFC North, with the undefeated Steelers, knock-knock at that point. Um, And we want to do a a midseason report on Joe Burrow. And my did you hear is that this week, Joe Burrow joined Cam Newton as the only players to have 2,000 passing yards in the first seven games. So first of all, that that stat blew me away because at this point in his career, Cam Newton is not known as the the passing leader here. Hmm. So Burrow and Newton in that category is really interesting. But what Burrow has been able to do with his arm to propel this Bengal team, not into contention, in, especially in the AFC North, but potentially in the playoffs, potentially as a wild card team, 
but also just the rebuilding of this franchise has been incredible. I love Joey B and what he's doing for Cincinnati right now. Yeah, and I, I think you nailed it. I think it's still a little early on them to make some sort of a playoff push. I want to say they're a year or two away. But what this shows with the Bengals is that once you get the quarterback right, things start to move in the right direction for the team as a whole. And I'm really impressed with the direction that they are heading in. Uh, on Burrow, I mean, 11 touchdowns so far. We've seen what he can do with his arm. His pocket composure is fantastic and his ability to extend plays. Now, not the Lamar Jackson extending plays where you run no. for 30 yards, but to avoid a sack and be able to throw the ball down the field, Burrow's been great at that. And so some things that I want to look at for Cincinnati for how we can see how improved they've been is that the last three weeks, they're second in the NFL on points per drive at 3.29. They've had three consecutive games with at least 27 points. That's the first time they've done that since 2015. And my did you hear is that for uh, this, the last three weeks as well, they have 15 is the number to focus on. And that's 15 drives in the red zone. They're moving the ball on offense. And that is because Joe Burrow, remember Joe Mixon has missed two of those three games and they're still leading the league in, in red zone, red zone drives. You know, T. Higgins has turned into a really, really good player. Second round pick out of Clemson for them. Uh, we all know about Boyd. Cincinnati's got some got some things working for them on offense, and it's very exciting for their future. Yeah, you just mentioned Joe Mixon. They didn't have their starting left tackle, their starting center, their starting right tackle, or their running back in Joe Mixon. And they were able to pull off the 31-20 to 20 upset against the Tennessee Titans, who were undefeated two weeks ago. And I think that has just as much to say about the direction that Tennessee is trending as Cincinnati's talents. Honestly, I think that's a big part of it. But the biggest thing for Cincinnati and Joe Burrow, you brought up the sacks. He's getting sacked a lot. And that is a lot more on his offensive line than himself. But against Tennessee, they converted 10 of 15 first downs and Joe Burrow wasn't sacked at all. So I think when the other pieces start coming around Joe and when those receivers continue to improve, T. Higgins was a huge pickup. They have Green and Boyd now. They're going to have Mixon back. Mm. They have a lot of talented offensive skill players, and I think they're going to be a sleeper pick for the wild card. I really do. They do, and that's exciting. Now, I would love to see them be able to go on some sort of run and put that together. They actually have the schedule to be able to do it. I know oh, they've that's still a got, great point. Yeah. They, they still have to get to play the Giants, so congratulations to them on that, <laughs> um, as they did uh, draw some uh, some NFC East teams this year. But that's kind of how I feel with them, too, is that offensively they're you know fun to watch. The, the line is a problem, especially playing Bobby Hart at right tackle. You know, a, a longtime Giant, he was awful there, and he has continued to be awful in Cincinnati. But what Zach Taylor's done with this team is he's made them unbelievably competitive, even in their losses. I mean, just look at what they've done so far. Three-point loss to LA, five-point loss to Cleveland, a tie, a win over the Jaguars. I guess that's not great. But a four-point loss to Indianapolis, a three-point loss to Cleveland. Every single game is a one-score game. They're in it, and they're doing it with a defense that's not very good. They are relying on their offense, and Joe Burrow has been able to carry them. And the fact he's able to do that as a rookie through his first seven games, seven, eight games, that, that's that got to give you high hopes on what this team can turn into. It totally is. And the defense, I think, is 
going to improve as the years go on too, because that offense is going to cement itself into something really competitive, like you just said. But it's so funny to think now about the Bengals last year. They were in such dire straits. But you never heard Joe dreading going to the Bengals no. like Trevor Lawrence is going to be dreading going to the <laughs> Jets. That's what I keep thinking about this whole time. Cincinnati was in a much better spot because they had all of these offensive offensive talents that we keep talking about, and the Jets don't have any of that. But I think Joe Burrow, his, his leadership style, his confidence, his abilities with his arm, I'm just going to run through some numbers here. He's top 15 or better with passing in a clean pocket, passing on straight dropbacks, passing on first and second down, passing with no play action, passing on throws more than 20 yards. And all of those things together just make up that guy that this team rallies around. He's a little bit old coming out of college, but his leadership style is something that is really, really just such a nice compliment to his abilities on the field. Yeah, it really is. And the thing with Burrow, too, is that unlike Lawrence, he was never the chosen one. It's going through his entire you know college career. Yeah, he went to Ohio State, but I that obviously didn't work out. He was a third stringer there. He transferred to LSU where he had to win the starting quarterback job. Going into the season last year, he was projected to maybe be a sixth or seventh round pick after a season at LSU. Of course, ends up setting the world on fire, has possibly the greatest you know college season ever by a quarterback, and ends up as the number one pick. He's an Ohio kid. He is perfect, perfect for this Bengals franchise. And I believe that they have their man to lead them into the future. I totally uh, do. Uh, you like the stats that that you just went through? Ten point three yards per completion as well. That's a big deal. That's not someone that's just dinking and dunking on the way down the field. As you said, he's doing it without a very good offensive line. So it would make sense if they were just trying to get the ball out quick every single time. They're not. He's able to make throws down the field because of his ability and his arm talent. So. Uh, Burrow's the guy in Cincinnati. I I still stand by. I'm not sure that that defense is going to be able to get them there, but they are tantalizing on offense, especially with Zach Taylor, a a Sean McVay uh, disciple. I was just going to say that the leadership is really good in that organization, and they really are in every single game. That Cincinnati-Cleveland game was unbelievable when Baker really turned turned it on at the end, Mm. but Cincinnati looked really good in that game, and I think they have a ton of good stuff coming for them. But you mentioned he's the he's the guy of the future. I just want to touch quickly on Tua Tagovailoa just because sure. he was drafted in the top five by Miami. He only has started one game. But I do like Miami's move to him, even though Ryan Sixpatrick was, was doing very – he was doing an adequate, adequate job. But as good as Miami's performance overall was, I wasn't super impressed by Tua. Only 4.2 yards per attempt. He finished third to last among quarterbacks in accurate passes thrown. Those are the two numbers that stuck out to me because you can have a ton of yards. You can have a bunch of completions. But if you're not getting a bunch of yards in your completions and you're not very accurate, I think those are two potential red flags. It's still early. He's still young. He still has a lot of developing to do. Miami has a lot of developing to do. But I think it was a little bit of a shaky start that was, 
eclipsed by how good Miami's defense was. Oh, absolutely. And I, I feel the same way. I think it's it's tough to draw any conclusions off of one start, especially against the, the Rams defense. Right. He, he did fumble on his first on his first drop back as he was greeted by Aaron Donald. But I this game for Miami, first off, it's just impressive that he was able to win, you know, going up against a tough Rams team. But this was more about Miami's special teams touchdown as well as their defensive touchdown right. kind of leading the way uh, for them there. I do think they made the right decision in starting to, uh, I understand that Fitzpatrick has been fine for them and that they've won games. I mean, they're sitting at four and three right now, but he's just, I, my philosophy with a lot of things in the NFL is if you don't have the quarterback, what's the point? You're not going to win games and he's not the long-term solution there. So go to the guy you just drafted in the top five, give him a chance. You've now given him halfway through the season to fully try and recover from the hip injury that he suffered there at Alabama. He's had ample time to get back from that. Now let's see what he can do. So I have no problem with Miami pulling the change. I know Fitzpatrick was very upset about it, but I think that this is the right call moving forward as unimpressive as he was in game one. He's obviously got the rest of the season to show what he can do. I agree. And I do think it was kind of funny because Fitzpatrick came out super supportive when the decision was made. And then it seemed like as the days got on, he got more and more bitter about it, Oh, <laughs> which yeah. is obviously understandable. But no, everyone knew that he wasn't the long-term option in Miami. And that's so, why I was actually a little surprised by how candid, I mean, Fitzpatrick was in, in some of those I mean, interviews yeah. he gave where he talked about being heartbroken and how he doesn't get it and how he's disappointed it, you know you had this first round draft pick sitting behind you you right. knew that he was coming for the job at some point so mm-hmm. i thought that was surprising especially with the team that seems to have a pretty good culture in place with brian flores and what he's been able to bring down there and, and build so yeah i agree and it's a completely different situation with the aaron Rodgers jordan love situation because it's not like jordan love is at aaron Rodgers level and you're waiting for jordan love to to kind of go in here to a was going to compete for a starting spot this season no matter what. You don't spend a pick in the top five and not expect that guy to play. Absolutely. So I think two is going to transition there well as his career goes on. And honestly, he has, I think, not that we're being overcritical, but it's hard to match him up against the two quarterback rookies that we have right now who are lighting it up. And one of the guys that I'm so excited to talk about is Justin Herbert. He was oh. the number six pick to the Chargers out of Oregon. His team has not been adequately highlighting his talents, I guess you could say. But he has had a really good start to his career. Chargers are only 2-5, and five, but they are the first team in NFL history to blow four straight leads of 16-plus points. They did that to the Bucks, the Saints, the Chargers, and the Broncos. It's more so a meltdown on the defensive side, but I think... I think Har- Herbert is getting a lot of credit, but I just wanted to talk about how good his numbers really are, and he has an absolute bomb for an arm. I I love Justin Herbert. I loved him at Oregon. I think, again, he is a legitimate NFL quarterback. He's got the size coming in there at 6'6". He's got the arm strength, as you talked about. He's got the mobility. Her- <laughs> Herbert's got some real potential for him, and, and you're right. The, the the focus on the on the Chargers isn't him; it's the failures that has really come about them. And you know, you nailed that that stat. That was actually what I wrote down as well for a a, a did you hear um, portion. But just to go back from 2000, 
the Chargers have lost 105 one-score games. <laughs> 105 over the, last, over the last two years. They're 3-14 and 14 in one-score in one games. It, it really comes down to fine margins here. And that's why I'm not sure that Anthony Lynn is going to be able to survive this come the end of the season when it's all said and done. Just there is talent on this Chargers team. Obviously, I think they have it in the quarterback. When Eckler comes back, they have it at running back. They've got guys like Keenan Allen. You look mm-hmm. at that defense, Joey Bosa, Jerry mm-hmm. Tillery, Derwin James when he's healthy. Of course, he's not right now. I loved Ken Murray coming out of the draft, though, the linebacker from Oklahoma. When, when it comes down to just these fine margins and losing games, it's and you have talent on the roster, it's tough to see the coach survive that. It is, and I think the defensive coordinator is on the, under the same scrutiny. Because I had the same stat about the 3-14, and 14 too. My did you hear for the Chargers is that the Denver Broncos on Sunday had four touchdown drives of 75-plus yards. And that's unacceptable. Four. First of all, the amount, of, the time of possession that that took up to let a team have that much time with the football, that is just an incompetent defense. And also, the, on the flip side... The Chargers defense has only forced six turnovers. That's the mm-hmm. second fewest in the NFL. So it doesn't matter how good Justin Herbert and the rest of this offense is, and I think they really are. All those guys you just said, Allen, Eckler, Herbert, even Tyrod Taylor as a backup quarterback is better than most backup quarterbacks. So it's just it's unfortunate to see this defense combusting. But when I saw that Denver stat, Denver is a – extremely below average offensive team led yes. by drew lock and for them to be charging down the field in that fashion in the clutch time this wasn't the first time that the Chargers have been in this hole they were able to rebound one 16 point comeback to win but they they're in these high pressure games and they just can't close and when it happens that many times it falls down to the defensive coordinator and the head coach yeah and i think you're right uh, that that's definitely where the main focus is i do want to look at the offense a little bit because i don't think they're totally absolved from blame so my did you hear for the the chargers is that they are second to last in the league in fourth quarter points they are averaging five points in the fourth quarter That would be last every other year, except this is the year of the New York Jets, as we all know. So, of course, they are behind them. But five points, that's not going to get it done in the fourth quarter. And that shows you why they've blown four straight 16-point leads. Because once the fourth quarter comes, they haven't been able to get it done. Now, a portion of that is that they're 21st in the league uh, in red zone percentage, just under 60%. It's not awful, but it's also not enough where you know you'd be shocked that they're sitting at two and five right now and again when we're talking about closing the gap it's things like red zone percentage it's things like in the fourth quarter having a long drive and putting those points on the board to be able to secure these wins and that's things they haven't been able to do now yes i totally agree that i think most of this falls on the defense and that they just haven't been able to get things done but once once the fourth quarter comes the offense has struggled a little bit no you're right and and i actually to tie the Bengals back in a little bit too if the offensive line is a problem for Joe Burrow and which is what is leading to all those sacks same problem in LA oh certainly they rank 27th in pass blocking that's just not going to cut it especially for a rookie quarterback talking about Herbert specifically 
over 1,500 yards, 12 touchdowns. He has three interceptions. Two, two of them came last week, and I think that showed a little bit of a meltdown on his part just because he's getting caught up in the pressure that comes. When you have to carry the entire offense and defense, that's going to take its toll. But he's also the only rookie in NFL history with three passing touchdowns in four consecutive games. So he has the talent. I believe he is the franchise guy for the Chargers. And they just start, they have to start building up the pieces around him so that in the fourth quarter, I mean, what, I mean, Keenan Allen has been able to produce. He's finding some of those other receivers. Even the backup running backs have been doing well, at least on Sunday they did. But what do you think that is when it comes to the fourth quarter, Pat? Yeah, I think that's it's so interesting how they can be so explosive and have playmakers around the ball. And come the fourth quarter, they just haven't haven't been able to get it done. Now, I, I think a portion of that may be what you said, where teams like the Denver Broncos are able to have these long drives, so just able to control the clock and not let that offense get on the field. I, the execution has mostly been there. I mean, especially looking at Herbert. I mean, the guy's got almost a 70% completion percentage, and even more importantly, in my mind, a 2% interception percentage, which yeah. means he makes the right decisions. No, that's exceptional for a rookie. It really so, is. And, and that's why I think this stuff is shocking. That And I think LA is one of the more talented teams, yet they're sitting there at 2-5 and five right now. Yeah. it's. I think it also at this point, because it's in their heads now that this has happened for it has straight to straight games. Same thing with the Falcons, who just keep blowing these losses. It literally has to turn mental. And Anthony Lynn has to go into this this locker room and say we need to just change our mindset because we have talent on this team and our quarterback can bring us here and they're dealing with a lot of injuries on defense oh absolutely so even joey bosa concussion protocol on sunday so that could be a huge blow for them but again a lot of teams are dealing with a lot of injuries so that cannot be the the only excuse there yeah no i agree Uh, to be fair to them they have some high profile injuries i mean austin eckler chris harris derwin james mike Mm -hmm. pouncey drew tranquil like those are all very good nfl players that can that can absolutely contribute to a winning team um derwin james being the best of them who is just an absolute stud but the poor guy cannot stay healthy so i i like this chargers roster a lot i also like anthony lynn as a coach but i just don't know if it's gonna work here with the amount of leads that they've blown. That it starts to seem like a change of scenery might be best for both the organization and Lynn. Yeah, I don't see it as as volatile as the Falcons. No, no, that they point. needed to they yeah, absolutely I don't I don't see to. it as that. But I definitely see they see how the season goes, they see if they can turn this around and then they then they uh, evaluate. Absolutely. No, I think it'll be interesting to follow. Listen, there's still half a season left to see how this talented roster can rebound. And we've just talked about how impressive we think that Herbert is. So yeah. they're they're not out of this. They're not going to win the division because Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes yeah. are in it, but they weren't going to do that anyway. No. Um, so if you could just see some progression out of them and finish, then this can be a very competitive team. Yeah. And I think they're very happy with picking Herbert six. And that is our mid-season report on the quarterbacks picked in the top five but pat i just realized that we have forgotten a very important 
rookie quarterback who made his debut this week. He was certainly not picked in the top 10. Hmm, I wonder who you could be referencing. But I'm talking (laughs) about Ben DiNucci on the Dallas Cowboys. And I'm joking, obviously, because this poor guy was thrust into the worst situation possible. And now Andy Dalton is on the COVID reserve list. It's about to get worse. So it's about to get 10 times worse. And watching that Eagles-Cowboys game was truly an otherworldly experience because of how bad the football was. I think that is a great way to put it, an otherworldly experience, (laughs) because, man, that was brutal. And and like I said, it is going to get worse because Dallas plays Pittsburgh this week, the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers, the Pittsburgh Steelers with the best defense in the league. I mean, Amari Cooper had one reception on on Sunday night for for Dallas. That offense is just not moving the ball. Danucci barely completed over 50% of his passes. Don't want to give him less credit and say 15. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, I mean, you talk about teams that are dead in the water when, what was it, a week or two ago, you had anonymous players blasting a brand-new coaching staff as, quote, they are not good at their jobs, end quote. Oh. Man, that you talk about volatile situations. That's about as bad as it can get in half a season. Yeah, and it's so it's tragic because of how talented the Cowboys are. And I think I think Mike McCarthy is having a tough run of things because he's being required to be so creative. And some of the play calls in that game, these guys I heard the the um it was Monday night, right? The Monday night football announcers saying, or the Sunday night maybe. Sunday night, yeah. Talking about all these coaches sitting down and drawing up plays from high school. That's how creative these coaches have had to be because it's not going to be straight passes to receivers. They're going to have to shake things up to even get first downs. That's how dire it is there. Oh, it, it really is that they have to look for some creativity there. And remember, Kellen Moore, like they, you go back a year and Everything was about, oh my God, how much we love Kellen Moore, how he is the guy in Dallas. He survived that coaching staff getting cleared out. Well, now the spotlight's really going to be on Kellen Moore because it's can he move the ball with a limited quarterback, to say it nicely, at best. I mean, they're they're talking about possibly starting Cooper Rush at the weekend, who they signed off of the Giants practice squad. It, it's a rough situation in Dallas, and it looks like it's only going to get worse. E- even with Dalton back, they're going to have their limitations. But at least Dalton has some some competence to him to be able to move the ball a little bit. But as long as Danucci or, or Rush is in, especially with the Steelers coming in, this is this is going to be a bad situation. Yeah, and I, I'm, I've thought it for years now, and I stand by it, especially now. Backup quarterback is the most important player on a football squad. And look at how it's turning out right now. If your best player, your quarterback, the most important player on the field goes down and you don't have somebody competent to come in, no matter who else is on the squad, this is what's going to happen. And you could say that Dallas has one of the most talented offensive skill rosters. Zeke, Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup. Like, come on. And they cannot get anything done offensively. Yeah, yeah, I I won't go as far as saying it's it's one of the most important, but it it's you need to have someone competent back there. The problem with Dallas to not kill them with is that they had Andy Dalton. This is just horrible, luck right? And that the hit Dak was goes down. The yes, hit was horrible. the hit yeah. the hit was not Dalton's fault at all. That was all Bostic lower in the head and going for what was clearly an illegal hit. Mm-hmm. So I I'm not gonna crush Dallas for planning there because listen, they went out and they got Dalton. No, it's, you're right. You're right. 
it's tough to have you know three quarterbacks that you can feel confident out there this would be the one year where i think you saw teams try to do it a little more you know not knowing what was going to happen with covid protocols True. but it, it's listen having a competent backup is important it, it is because if something goes wrong you need things to not completely fall off a cliff and i think that's what dallas had with dalton that's just asking a team to go to their third stringer and and to be able to compete the way they normally would uh, it's not going to work especially when you have the options that dallas has you're right and everybody was heralding the cowboys for for getting dalton and having the best backup quarterback in the game and it was just unfortunate circumstances that caused that to happen for sure yeah definitely for sure all right so i want to move to our next and last segment which is the craziest number we've heard this week and this is also where we're going to do our quick hitter section because NFL, it's so funny because we had so many sports for so long, <laughs> and now I have all these nights where there's nothing on, and I'm wondering what to do with myself. But for the next few weeks, either the NFL or college football will probably be our main segment. And in this quick hitter section is where we're going to be able to do some wide, wider ranging topics. And we've been talking a lot off mic about the World Series and baseball and free agency starting and the offseason. So my quick hitter... The craziest thing I heard this week, the craziest number is two, and this is why. Ricky Renteria, he is a finalist for the AL Manager of the Year, and he was let go by the White Sox just a few weeks ago, despite making the playoffs for the first time since 2008. We've heard a lot about this White Sox roster, the rebuild, they've got all these young guys now. Then they fire Renteria and hire Tony La Russa, who is... Very old, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> super old-fashioned. I'm super curious to see how that turns out. But anyways, the number two was the craziest thing I heard this week because that is the number of managers who have won the Manager of the Year award in their respective league and then got fired in that same season. So if Ricky Renteria wow. wins the AL Manager of the Year, he will become the third manager in that category. In 1997, Davey Johnson won AL Manager of the Year, ended up quitting that same day because there was a ton of bad blood between him and the Orioles. And then Joe Girardi in 2006 won National League Manager of the Year with the Marlins, was fired that same season. So that's just, it's unbelievable to me. I mean, you see it across a couple sports. These decisions have already been in place and then it just so happens that they have amazing seasons. But to win manager of the year, potentially, and be fired is mind-blowing to me. No, it it really is. And it's funny because we could have done, for our main topic, the hiring of Tony La Russa. Yep. Because it is so interesting. And my, my favorite part about this story, actually, is the tweet that the White Sox sent out. Once it was announced that Renteria was a finalist, they congratulated him, which was yep. a little awkward after they fired him. Um, you know, a couple weeks, a couple weeks before that. Um, but I actually have a very similar craziest number of the week. This number is actually, it, it blows my mind the first time I saw it. And it's 2.3. So very close to your two, but 2.3. And that is the percentage. That is the percentage of major league baseball games as a whole that Tony La Russa has been a manager for in the history of Major League Baseball. He has been a manager for 2.3% of all games played. 
<laughs> I, I, I'm shaking my head. I can't I'm not sure it. how to even wrap your head yeah. around the fact that, I, yes, you think, oh, 2.3, that's not that big. Think about how many games are played per year. Yeah. He's managed 2.3 of them over the entirety of his career. That's insane. It's crazy to think that he hasn't managed in a decade and is now going to come back. Yeah. And hop in to the to the White Sox dugout, a team that's on the rise, a team that's very talented, a team that made the postseason this year. It's bizarre. It's a Jerry Reinsdorf type thing mm-hmm. to do because that's what Reinsdorf does. He loves to grab headlines. I mean, the first year uh, Larusa was a manager, he was 34 years old in 1979 yeah. with the White Sox. You know, it was talked about how Reinsdorf still regrets firing him in 1986. So of course, just 30 plus years later. Let's, you know, make up for it <laughs> and uh, and hire him back now as a 75-year-old manager, I believe, to uh, to get that correctly. So hasn't managed a game since 2011. Um, wow, that is going to be some story to follow this year. And 2.3% was absolutely my number to look at. That's a really, that's really, really good. And I, I've gone so back and forth about this decision in part because of how many other managers were out there that the White Sox could have chose from just with the analytical minded AJ Hinch you've got some other young guys but really what stuck out to me was how young and exuberant this team is and you cannot apply either of those words to La Russa. he's just he's old-fashioned he's, it's a strange fit if you can even call it a fit yeah and it's it's the whole thing with Fernando Tatis Jr. swinging on the 3-0 pitch and hitting the grand slam. Everybody was talking about the rules of baseball. That is Tony La Russa. Yep. Tony La Russa is the old rules of baseball that don't want to be changed. He epitomizes all of that. And that's what the White Sox are. They're the bat flips. They're the stealing home. You know, there's just so many factors that go into this and I am so curious to see how Larusa fits in with these players and what his managerial style is like because that's half the battle. White Sox are they obviously have the talent, but how is this manager going to put his spin on this team so that they can be even even more successful and it's surprising that what Ricky Renteria was able to do wasn't enough. No, to, I to have him stay around. I cannot wait for the first Tim Anderson home run and bat flip to see the camera pan into the dugout just to see LaRusso's reaction. I, yeah. I I can't wait for that because I don't know how this works out. I don't know how this is a fit. I think this is so strange. Listen, it's also got the potential to work, being that LaRusso is one of the better baseball minds uh, in, in the history of the game. But the game has changed a lot, even over the last nine years. That's exactly I mean, think about it. Baseball is purely now a three-outcome game of home run, out, walk, strikeout. Yeah. Like, it, it, it is so bullpen-oriented now. You've got rules that the players and the owners can't even agree on, so we don't even know if there's a DH in the National League next mm-hmm. year or not. Like, it, <laughs> it is just so strange. I personally do not think it will fit, but I will, to give him at least the credit for his Hall of Fame career, say, I guess he's got a chance to pull it off. Yeah. The, the Hall of Fame resume automatically gives him legitimacy. And that's the only reason why, because otherwise this high, I think this hire was pretty universally looked at as, wow, that's bizarre. If he didn't have that backing behind it, it would be, this is a complete disaster. And it, yeah. listen, as I said, it's got the chance to be. 
it really this could be a Bobby Valentine Red Sox situation. Oh, please, don't, that's don't that's do honestly the first situation that came to my head when I first saw that he was hired here. So we'll see how it turns out. But God, I think this is a weird one, and I'm not sure it's gonna work. Yeah, uh, just because you brought it up quick, did any other finalists stick out to you, snubs or that way? And then also, what rules do you think will stay next year? Which ones did you really like this season? So I will tell you, as someone that was the biggest believer in National League Baseball who wants the strategy of figuring out when to pitch hit, when to pull your pitcher and all that, I want the DH to stay in the National League. I think it's time that we just have that in at this point after having the 60-game season, seeing it in there. It's just, it's better for the players to have the DH in there. It's better for the enjoyment of the game to be able to watch a, a, a real hitter in the lineup in there. And as much as I hate, you know, the losing that strategy aspect of it, I hate more watching a pitcher pitch fantastic and then get pulled in the sixth inning because you have to pinch hit for the guy. Yeah. And that, so that's just crutching. So I'm hoping that rule stays, you know, for the finalists, I, I kind of think they got it right yeah. for, for the finalists. I mean, I have, do you want to run through our yeah, picks very run, quick? Yeah, Cause I know we're, it. we're starting to run up towards time. Yeah. But I think this is really interesting. And obviously the postseason isn't considered. Yep. And I don't even think recency bias plays too much of a part into this because these these voters are so experienced. Mm-hmm. But I'm not super impressed by Mookie Betts' regular season numbers. No, I agree. I, he is not my pick for, no, for National League I, MVP. No, and Freddie Freeman is my runaway yes, pick. Yes, me, I me do, as well. I think that Fernando Tati should have taken Mookie Betts' spot as an NL MVP. Yeah, I would have been completely fine with that. I think Machado had a good year. I think Tatis cooled off at the end, whereas Mookie Betts heated up. And then if it was if it was postseason awards, Mookie Betts would obviously win that, mm-hmm. hand, hands down. But... The five stool, the five tool player that he is, I can see where that come from. But I really hope Freddie Freeman wins, and I really think he should. I think Al he will. Also, was just not super impressive either. No, no, I agree. For for Freeman, I think he will, and I think yeah. he he will win it comfortably. I mean, a, you know, a three forty one average, a four sixty two on base. Yeah. For AL too, so your your finals: Jose Abreu, DJ LeMahieu, and Jose Ramirez. I also think that this will be actually be a comfortable win. And I think it'll be Jose Abreu. Really? I think I LeMayu. You think LeMayu's yeah. got a chance? So here, here's my stat to kind of back up Abreu. He led the American League in hits, RBIs, and slugging this year. That is only the third time that has ever happened. Oh, the wow. other The other two years were MVP years by Carl Yastrzemski in 67 and Jim Rice in 78. All right. That's pretty convincing. <laughs> that's pretty convincing. Listen, I- DJ was incredible for the Yankees this year. I just, I think that Abreu is going to end up winning. Yeah, that's a that's a really good stat. I like thinking of most valuable player as somebody who literally makes their team something where if he wasn't on the team, they would be completely different. And I think that's the epitome of Lemayo. I would agree with that. With how how important he is to that lineup, being the contact hitter um, and the the solid fielder that he is. Yeah, and I hate the Yankees, but DJ Lemayo is such a good baseball player that he brings me back to that. He's so good, I can't root against him. Mm-hmm. He gets on base, he hits, he breaks. He doesn't have a shift against him. He's one of the few hitters in Major League Baseball who does not have a shift against him, and I love that. 
Oh, because it, it's, he's just it's too definitely good. true. I, I will be shocked if he is not a uh, a New York Yankee once this offseason is complete. Oh, that would be the biggest mistake for them ever. Yeah, I, I don't think that the Steinbrenners are going to let him walk out. I, I, I do believe that he will be back with a new contract. Yeah, I definitely, you know what, next week we might have to do a an offseason primer here. Because it's gonna be I, it's gonna in. be much more slow developing than any of the other leagues, but I think the MLB offseason is super exciting, and we've oh, got there, some big There's names plenty to, to go through. About. I would love to do that. Yeah. All right. So that is that is uh, tentatively on the plate. We almost don't even have to talk about the AL Cy Young. <laughs> no, that's it's done. So obvious. That's done. Yeah. Shane Bieber had an absolute monumental season. Uh, triple Crown winner, wins ERA, strikeouts. Kenta Maeda was really good. I think. Garrett Cole potentially could have taken Hunju Ryu's spot. Mm-hmm. But, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think, again, Cy Young as the MVP for pitchers, Ryu completely brought the Blue Jays to a new level as an ace, and I like that. Yeah, no, that's fair. I really like Toronto's team. I think Ryu, it, it shows how good he can be when he stays healthy. Because, I mean, that was his problem yes. in L.A. for all those years, is that he he, he just can't stay healthy. He was going to be one of the, the leading candidates for it last year with mm-hmm. the Dodgers, and then he got hurt. Yeah. So it, I, I like him, but uh, this is this is Shane Bieber. I mean, 14.2 strikeouts per nine, all-time record. Uh, beat Garrett Cole, whose record lasted for all of one year. Um, <laughs> but just it, this is going to – he's probably going to be unanimous um when that is uh when that comes out next week i almost think it would be a little disrespectful if he wasn't unanimous yeah and i think that's a totally fair way to look at it as well yeah i'm curious what you think for nl because of your guy here (laughs) uh so i i could god i love jacob Degrom, and i do think he's the best pitcher on the planet however i do think this is going to go to bauer I, i just think this is trevor bauer's year uh, what I will say to back up DeGrom is that with how weird the schedules were this year and that you only played people in your division and the opposite division, the Central was the worst hitting division, both of them, in, in all of baseball. So mm. he went up against easier opponents than DeGrom did uh, pitching in the Eastern divisions. But when it comes down to it, I mean, Trevor Bauer had a 1-7 ERA. Uh, he got it. The big thing for him, too, he pitched into the seventh inning eight times this season. Yeah. Jacob deGrom only got there three times. I love um, that. And to me, for the Cy Young, he's got to be your horse. He's got to be the guy that leads you, and that's what Bauer was. So I have no problem with Trevor Bauer winning this thing. I think I do think deGrom should be a second-place finisher, but um, I, I do give it to uh, Cincinnati and Trevor Bauer. Yeah, it's so funny. We, you talk about NFL, NBA being a game of runs, but baseball could just as easily be a game of runs. Bauer and Darvish have very similar numbers but on Mm -hmm. opposite sides of the season so bauer started off two and five with a 639 era darvish finished he was seven and oh to start and he ended eight and three so i think if after those 10 games darvish would have been your runaway but he ended slow bauer with his finish runaway now maybe not runaway it's a little bit of a stretch but I, it just, I, but the I think way he'll you win. start and finish, the way you start and the way you finish are so important because it just switches the way that that voters think of you. Oh, there absolutely is recency bias in all of these awards. Yeah. It, they're humans, so yeah. if you finish strong, you've got a better chance of, of moving up their ballot. And then the the other number with, with Bauer that I should have referenced is he had a a point seven nine WHIP. Yeah. 
I mean, that that's less than a way less than a base runner per inning getting on on him. It was the this is his year, and it uh, it definitely will pay for him to win it this year as totally. he will be, as we will probably talk about a lot next week if we do go into free agency. Yeah, and I think he's revitalizing the accessibility of MLB players to the media and to the fans, and I like that about him. Yes, he is. Uh, he's definitely an interesting Twitter follow. Yeah. Um, NL Rookie of the Year, I have Devin Williams. Yes, he was dominant for the Brewers. He won that, the reliever of the year. What was that? He won run over 27 innings, I believe it was. That, that sounds doesn't familiar. happen, and I wish that the Brewers were better this year so that he could have gotten more credit because I think he, he, he slides under the radar a little bit, but that number is jaw-dropping. Yeah, definitely a shout out to um, Cronenworth in, in San Diego. Alec Bohm was was really good for the Phillies, and um, uh, Jimenez, who came up for the Mets, also did an outstanding job. He did, yeah. He the the stolen bases is is good for him. Yes, yes, and incredible defense. But this is this is Devin Williams' award, and I I think he'll run away with this one. Yeah, who do you got for AL? Uh, Kyle Lewis yeah. for me. It's another one. I I feel like a lot of these awards, it just this is a year where I don't think there's too much argument no. involved in it. Lewis was really, really good for uh, for Seattle this year. And I don't think he had a huge challenge or otherwise. I mean, Luis Robert was the is the other big name. Yeah, again, at he, the beginning, but he cooled off. Exactly, but he's so streaky mm-hmm. that, and, and Lewis was just more consistent this season that uh, I'm, I'm going to give it to Kyle Lewis. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and he, I, I, think Lu- I think if Luis Robert had continued past august doing what he was doing 10 homers in 33 games he definitely would have given lewis a run for his money but it just didn't work out that yeah, way. yeah i i do too i mean you look at it with lewis like he led he led rookie al rookies in average on base slugging ops war and he led the mariners in homers average runs and walks yeah i mean that's that's a really good season so that is called me. dominance exactly so i think that he will wrap this thing up pretty easily me too and just quick we don't have to talk too much about manage the year but al and nl winners for you uh nl again talk about landslides it's don mattingly anyone yep. who doesn't vote for don mattingly i will actually be very upset with i mean how can how can you justify not voting for don mattingly no. the guy that's entire roster ended up having covid and the team made the playoffs um just 61 players the marlins <laughs> had to use 61 players and they had their first winning record since 2009 that is yeah. unbelievable yeah, it, it's just it's Mattingly. Uh, American League, I think, can actually go a couple of different ways, but it's funny looking back after how badly he was killed in the World Series. But <laughs> I think it's going to be Kevin Cash. I, I agree. Mean, look at that Tampa Bay roster. Look at that payroll. They don't exactly have a bunch of stars, as we talked about in our uh, our, our primer episode that no one got to hear. But it was alright. It was good practice for us. Um, but Kevin Cash is for me is is going to end up being the guy. It actually really is unfortunate how. This will. This is what he will be known for, but oh, I yeah. do think he wins it this year too because what he's able to do with his bullpen is really, and that's why I think that three batter minimum rule should be abolished. I think it ruins baseball. I think it ruins managers like Cash. I think these managers make their money off of going batter by batter. I, actually, that turned out to be the downfall in the snow case. <laughs> so that's a uh, recency bias. Doesn't make that statement age too well. But I don't think that's a good rule for managers like Cash. Yeah, no, I think that's totally fair. Yeah. All right, well, that was super fun. 
we got through a lot of stuff and I, I think those segments work perfectly for us in order mm-hmm. to get a lot of different storylines in. Again, the point of this Did You Hear podcast is to illuminate some numbers, some storylines, some people, some athletes that really don't get enough credit in the media. And we want this to be a learning experience for all, on all sides. So please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Did You Hear Pod engage with us tell us what you like tell us what you didn't like tell us what you want to talk about in the future and we really just want this to explode and be as much fun as possible yeah absolutely thank you to everyone for for listening to to episode one we will keep growing and and figuring things out as we move along but this was this was exciting this was fun and uh can't wait to get back at it for uh, our schedule of recording tuesday nights and uploading wednesday mornings we will see you for episode two next week Let's do it.